So a couple of weeks ago, I threw out a banana gram and hit a kid, and um, it was an infant. And that, so bananas and banana bread and banana cream pie, and yes, I'm going to throw these, so get ready. Um, it's kind of fun to, I mean, actually, it's kind of like a boomerang, so it should fly really nicely. You, don't, you want to be really light with the hands because you don't want to squish the banana. But then if you go to banana bread, it's not really that big of a deal. Nice. Then there's Banana Republic, right? The store. But then there's also Banana Republic, which is the country that really doesn't have a functioning government or a government that doesn't function well. You have banana pancakes, bananas foster, banana boat sunscreen, which is an odd combination, right? Because you should never, ever, ever. Do, am I doing something wrong? I'm good. All right, thank you. You should never, ever, ever, ever have bananas on a boat. Yeah. If you don't know that, it's a little bit of Niswa information. When the water is soft and you have a boat, you're thinking, what should I bring out? Apples, oranges, bananas. No, no. Bananas never belong on, I didn't want to hit someone that's walking in. It makes me feel like, that's a good talk. Oh, yeah, I'll throw one to you. Here you go. Oh, it's a little wide. Okay, so it's a little bit of a surprise when the banana took center stage at an art show in Miami. Did you see this? This is an absolute riot. Art Basel, Miami Beach. Okay, here's a picture of it. Okay, it was an installation down by Marzino Catalan, okay? And he's uh, an Italian guy. And basically, he taped a banana to the wall. The price tag? $120,000. He sold three of them. He sold three bananas taped to a wall. So I thought tonight, because we're running a little bit behind, okay, we're running a little bit behind, that instead of paying $120,000 for an art installation, I would give you the exact same instruction. The crazy thing that happened, though, is that this other guy by the name of David DeTuna, who's a performance artist from New York City, he walks up to the art installation, Art Basel, Miami, takes the banana off the wall, peels it and eats it. Okay, so I was thinking, we're running a little bit behind on budget. You know, we, we always have to make budget. In so I'm thinking, instead of $120,000, I'm thinking I'll give you a roll of duct tape and a banana for twenty grand. I mean, that's a deal. That is like a phenomenal. Here are the instructions. You can see me afterwards. Um, um, I was told not to throw the duct tape, but I could roll it down the... So if that ends up in someone's life... Oh, someone's going to get here. Okay, so here are the instructions. Um, the duct tape on the wall, the, the, the piece of duct tape on the back should be 20 centimeters long. Okay, so that's roughly about 8 inches. It should be at a 37-degree angle. And actually, there's two pieces of duct tape going on, hence I'm giving out a complete roll. And again, I will roll the roll instead of um, throwing the roll so that my wife doesn't... Oh, sorry, I hit your foot. That's probably a good idea that I didn't throw it because it's a little more math. Okay, so there's two pieces of duct tape. There's a duct tape on the back, and then there's a piece of duct tape around the banana itself, and then you actually glue the banana with the duct tape onto the duct tape piece on the wall. And the advice that Mr. Catalan has is that you should replace the banana every 7 to 10 days. Or your artwork will become a living scripture. There's a challenge of Christmas, okay? There's a challenge of Christmas. If you're interested in the $20,000 package, if you buy volume discount, I will even cut you a deal, okay? We're just a little bit of a... 
There's a challenge of Christmas, right? Okay, the Wall Street Journal seized upon it, okay? And the challenge of Christmas, according to the Wall Street Journal article, is that you come home to your parents. Oh, that's not a problem that I face anymore, but you come home to your parents and they immediately want you to go to church with them. And the article was like, this is just one of those crazy things. The expectations of going home for the holidays, expectations of parents, traditions that no longer seem relevant, maybe the natural challenge when religion and politics get aligned and things get really weird, right? And so, so the Wall Street Journal has some advice to give, both to you parents who have your children home and adult children. Parents, please keep your expectations in check. Invite your adult child to the service. Thank you for making it tonight. But don't assume that they will go, okay? It's okay. Don't take rejection personally, okay? You're big boys and girls. Or as a commentary on how well you raised or didn't raise your child. Be flexible because a midnight, or in our case, a 10 p.m. service, might no longer work when an adult child has young children. And please don't nag. And that's just kind of one of those universal things as a parent with adult children. Don't nag us. It just, it really doesn't work. Don't try to guilt us. Don't try to play these uh, manipulative games that we want to do that your parents did to you. Adult children, here's the really great advice. Don't take the request to attend church personally. (laughs) Why not? I mean, why wouldn't you? You're invited personally by your parents. Realize your parents have beliefs they want to share. Number two, if going to church at Christmas means more to your parents than not going means to you, then go and enjoy whatever aspects of the service you can. Maybe a banana that gets thrown out. That actually wasn't in the article. If you feel strongly about going, not going, calmly explain that you respect their values and beliefs and that you haven't abandoned those values even if you don't go. And then the last one is the best one. If you don't go, Offer to cook or set the table or do some other helpful task while they are at church. I love the last one. It's like there's a penalty for not going to church, which is closely related to a penalty for going to church, okay? So, oh, penalty for not going to church. Oh, you don't want to do who go to church with me? Then here's more work for you to do. It also works the other way around. Have you ever encountered this? A parent will say to a child that they're punishing or something like this. They'll say, um, you're grounded. In addition to being grounded, you have to go to church for the next eight weeks in a row. And I think, great, weaponized church. Good job. Effective parenting. Good job for you. I'm being sarcastic. But the experience can almost become comical, right? We even create names for ourselves when we embrace a Christmas and Easter version of church attendance. And if I can challenge you, why would we be so proud of a casual relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, I get that organized religion can be quite tedious. In fact, it's quite tedious for me. I often bore of the talking heads. But that's not what we're here about tonight. That's not what we're about here tonight. If you ask around, you'll discover a unique expression of respect for Jesus and his teachings, his life, his commitment And I ask for this favor, not for the benefit of organized religion with its pompous leaders, but I ask you for the benefit of considering and committing to the baby who really altered the course of human history. Today's New York Times, Peter Werner, who's a conservative columnist, writes this about Christmas time. 
If you are wholly unfamiliar with the life of Jesus and listened only to what most Christians in America say today, you could be forgiven for thinking that most, the most important thing Christianity values is worldly power. The power to control and compel, the power to impose one's wills on others, to vanquish one's enemies. Blessed are the politically powerful and the well-connected, you might assume, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The birth and life of Jesus shatter this narrative. Those of us of the Christian faith believe that Christmas Day represents the moment of God's incarnation when this broken world became his home. But it was an entrance characterized not by privilege, comfort, public celebration, or self-glorification. It was marked by lowliness, lowliness and obscurity and humility and fragility. The circumstances of Jesus' birth were calculated to establish his detachment from power and authority in human terms. This, that could be said not just about Jesus' birth, but about his entire life, which in many respects was an inversion of what the world, including much of what the Christian world prizes. And so I ask you, in a very powerful way, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Our text tonight is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And before we go through it all, we'll highlight a few verses. And the first one we'll look at is verse 11. The angel comes to the shepherds and says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This notion of Savior, this notion of salvation, the notion of embracing a Savior, the notion of embracing a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Why is it so hard to ask for help? I mean, we're barely out of the womb, and and the words on our mouth are, I can do it myself. Embracing a Savior suggests that we need to be saved from something. And that's hard from us, hard for us. Because frequently that refrain is about we need to be saved from our personal shortcomings, the junk that's in our life, sin. And some of us don't like to hear that. That's a difficult thing. We think of ourselves in, 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 in very glowing terms and the notion that I would have sin in my life. Well, I don't have sin in my life. Look at what I do for a living, for goodness sakes. I'm a good guy. But at the birth of Jesus Christ, there is this refrain over and over and over again. The, the name Jesus itself means Yahweh is salvation. And the purpose of Jesus' life was to save people from their sin. And while we might push against that and say that I'm not a bad guy, and I would say, you're right, you're not a bad guy. I'm not a bad guy either, but I have sin in my life. And sin that isn't forgiven leads to death. And Jesus says, I can take care of that problem. It's hard for us to be challenged by this reality, but wouldn't you rather know? Wouldn't you rather know that something is not quite right and that there's a solution for the problem? I challenge you to move beyond it being so hard. So hard for us to acknowledge the need for something larger than ourselves. The simple reality that we need a Savior. And that Savior came as a baby. The second verse is verse 14, and it's this notion of embracing peace. I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. 
you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly with the angel, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising and saying, glory to God on highest and on earth, peace with those with whom he is pleased. And the text seems to suggest you can tell the authentic activity of God in someone's life based on the amount of peace that they have. That peace and the favor of God are correlated. That the promise is peace when we are operating within the very best that God has for us. Now, I'd be the first to say that this doesn't mean that life will always be easy. And it certainly doesn't mean that life around us will always have peace. In this day, even a casual observer finds little peace in the headlines. But the promise of peace is the peace for those with whom God is pleased. And it is a very unique thing, a very mystical thing. And I don't always pretend to have it. But when I do possess it, when it is present in my life, it is this combination, right? This combination of confidence without arrogance, security without force, a strong sense of self without selfishness. It's a singular sense of everything pulling in a direction for the enhancement of God's reputation. It's being totally confident of a relationship without taking it for granted. But it goes beyond this because while good thinking helps faith, faith is more than good thinking. And while thinking about faith and describing it as one thing, there is also this mystical supernatural component to peace, to a relationship with Jesus, with the Father, and with the Spirit. And, and at some point, it is beyond description. And you might think, how cute. You're asking me to say yes to something I can't fully explain. And I'd be guilty. I can't. But, but is it such a big stretch to take a step, to take this chance? I've watched people burn through hundreds of dollars of pull tabs, leaving a pile on the bar, walking away with nothing. And I scratch my head and I'm like, why in the world would you do that? I mean, if it's entertainment, fine, I get it. But really, you think you're gonna, that's a long-term career move that's going to work for you? No, it's not. And for those of you that are into charitable gambling, thinking that it does a lot of good, great, I'm sorry, I offended, please forgive me. But if a person's willing to go through hundreds of dollars worth of pull tabs, kind of think there's something inside of them that's looking for something else. The excitement of the discovery. So I think there is something inside of most of us that is willing to take a chance on something. And the something that I'm asking you to take a chance on is Jesus. Not the political headlines, not the religious headlines, not the talking heads, not the people pursuing power. The life, the teaching, the example of the Christ child. The final verse is verse 19. 
So the shepherds take off. They get to Bethlehem. They see Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. I think it was just the baby that was actually lying in the manger. I think Mary and Joseph were off to the side. But at any rate, they, 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 and they, they, they tell. They tell what was told them, that, that this is a Savior, that this is Christ the Lord. And the text tells us that Mary treasured these things, that she pondered them in her heart. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the reality of Mary's existence in the first century and the mystery that it is to be a young mother, the mystery that it is to be a woman. And while the text doesn't necessarily sprawl this out, I think the treasuring, the pondering, was one of those things of, okay, I wonder what this child will become. I wonder what will happen down the road. I wonder, I wonder how this is all going to flesh its way out how this incarnation will really take root in the first century. I think Mary wondered, what does the future hold? And I think that's something that we all wonder from time to time. How will your life change in the next year? A while ago, there used to be this place in Aiken, Minnesota called Ziski's. It was, a, it was a grocery store. There was also a meat counter. There was a lunch counter. There was a feed store in the very back. It was one of these old school like grocery stores, right? It had two aisles, okay? And the owner, Chuck Ziski, um, would come out to the shop and talk with my dad from time to time. And at a certain point, he said to my dad, Dad, you and I, or Bill, rather, you and I are getting to the age where we shouldn't buy green bananas. I just love that one. Would anyone like some duct tape and a banana? 15,000. 15. Do you ever wonder what the future will hold? Do you ever wonder what will change in your life this next year? Repeatedly, the Bible affirms this notion of, of the present, of, of taking advantage of what is right before us. You have a chance right now to change the trajectory of your next year. Irrespective of whether or not you've been a casual consumer of faith, or a very intentional, engaged follower of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to reorder our life in light of the birth of a baby is really the question. Our, our calendar is based off of the birth of Christ. And that's just the start of the impact that he has had throughout the ages and throughout lives. And one of the most compelling testimonies giving proof of the reality of this mystical, wonderful, amazing relationship that is characterized by peace is the lives of those, not, not of the folks in the headlines, but the lives of the folks that are sitting right next to you right now. It's probably a person in front of you or behind you. It might even be you. And you would say, because I have encountered Jesus Christ, my life has changed for the better. 
the ability of Christ to move beyond politics, to move beyond talking heads, stuff shirts, into my heart, into yours. And to say simply, let me in. Peter concludes his article. No one thought it would start this way. An infant placed in a manger in a troubled corner of a troubled world. You would have thought he would be among the most inconsequential individuals ever. You would have been wrong. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Nazareth, um, rather from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with his betrothed, Mary, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds keeping watch, in their flo- keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly with the angel, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace with those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels left them and went back into heaven, the shepherds said, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has been told us, that the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard the shepherds wondered at the things that they told them. But Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Merry Christmas. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you to bear witness to the singular event that changed human history. The second person of the Trinity, the Word becoming flesh, the Son becoming a baby that we call Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Father, let us enjoy this Christmas season with our family and with our friends, but let us be drawn to this notion of doing our lives in light of the fact of this baby. of recognizing him as Savior, of reordering our lives in light of this birth. 
Father, allow your spirit to do in our lives what only you can do. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.